Blog Talk Radio. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures. I'm your host, Paul Booth. Thank you for joining us today. Today, congratulations to everyone. We are not ones to pat ourselves on the back here at Talking Pictures, but it is the 250th episode. Yay! I wish I had one of those clap machines. That sounded foolish. Anyways, we're here today. We're going to be talking with Mr. Quincy Rose. Uh, We're going to be doing this thing we've never done before, which is more so kind of a profile episode where we're going to get to know the director about some stuff like what his education was, where he's lived, some of his travels, um, and his obviously his influences. Uh, and we'll we'll go a little bit into his filmmaking, of course, uh, but we're going to not, it's not just going to be your standard. We're not promoting a screening. We're not promoting a release. Uh, we're not here just to let, let you guys know about an event. So this is going to be really exciting. I'm not going to lie. I'm so excited. I don't want to say it's nervous because uh, the excitement here, we're also going to be joined by uh, Rainey Kerwin, who is another director I admire. She made The Wedding Invitation. Uh, for Quincy's films, today you're going to learn about Quincy. You can watch Miles to Go, which is his first, and Friends, Effing Friends, Effing Friends. Both are on Amazon Prime for free, so take a look at those. And I only say for free because some stuff's like five ninety nine, and I'll get people that are saying, oh, I don't want to spend money to rent a movie. Why did you recommend it to me? But anyways... Uh, and then Rainy is the Wedding Invitation. But again, we're not here to promote those films, but just to let you know, we have a great caliber of filmmakers today. And sorry, I already I already have this thing I do. I get it from my father. When, when we're too passionate or we're too excited, we start to talk too fast. So I apologize in advance today. Um, before I bring the guest in, um, I also wanted to say that uh, with today's special episode, it won't be the standard A to Z that you get with uh, our show. So for new listeners, please know this is completely new style. In fact, I had spoke with uh, Quincy about this and he had given me some food for thought. So I thought this is this is the guest we need to have on because he helped uh, give me some thoughts that this uh, this idea came to fruition while I was in Europe. So I'll shut up now that I see our guest is here. And are you with us, Quincy? Hello, Paul. How's it going? It's going fantastic. How about you? Pretty well. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. I can hear you perfectly. Well, what's funny is is one of my uh, one of the sides of my headphones went out today, so I can hear you fine. It's just in one ear, so. It's all good. Okay, just <laughs> just let me know because I know how cell phones are. I can always try to use the house phone, but the house phone is also linked through the internet, so it's I don't know how it's any different. But in any event, if you can't hear me, let me know. I'll try to talk up or move around the oh, house okay. or something. No, I appreciate it. If you could find a way to get my other headphone to work, that'd be great. But I guess <laughs> you're in New York, so um. yeah, yeah. Just just go buy another. That's how that'll work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Yeah, thank you. I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll, or dig one of the others thing. out of your drawer. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, always yeah. love that, right? <laughs> um, so let's see. I you you sent me this wonderful bio, and uh, I can see now your films are very intelligent, very well thought out. Uh, I wanted to start out with a question because your 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 films are have such a great ear for dialogue, so. Seeing here that you lived in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York, uh, do you think there's a city that can, that contributed most to your ear for dialogue, or or somewhere you went that you could feel like that gave me a real good sense for dialogue? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, and hello to all the, oh. the listeners. And um, yeah, so like, um, I wouldn't say there's like a okay so there's no city or person that's given me an ear for dialogue um it's i i would say there's like there's an area where i've always been most exposed to dialogue and attracted to dialogue and that's always been in the new york type of uh talky talk movies or whatever you want to refer to these movies as where it's just something that I kind of was raised around and um, exposed to. And so there is a type of talk that you'll hear in each area, like uh, specific to those areas. And then there's city talk in general, and then there's country talk and there's more rural talk and all of those things. But I, I, I think if somebody has an ear for dialogue, um, it, it won't, I don't mean to say that like if you can write somebody for the city really well, you can absolutely write somebody for the country really well. But generally speaking, if you have an ear for dialogue, you'll find a way to make that dialogue sound, um, uh, you know, uh, authentic to the, to the region or the person which you're trying to uh, uh, bring to light, you know? Yeah, well, well, I basically I had asked that question because I saw here that you've uh, that you've traveled extensively, and before we get into uh, some of your uh, family, because the way you just answered that question made me uh, have I have a perfect thought here for uh, what your mother and father did, um, but I w- I would love to know how this contributed to you as a person um, saying here, you went, you took a train across the country. Is there any specific things that you, that you always go back to in life that you remember from that trip or, you know, I mean, seeing, I, I did a road trip across the country and I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever forget that if I live to be 90. So is there something that you could share with us that came from that, that really contributed to who Quincy is? Um, well, so uh, I've done several train trips across the country, back and forth, and these were all done when I was a very young person in my, uh, maybe the latest I was 13 when I did the cross-country train trip. I've done uh, L.A. to Seattle, um, which is only overnight. The, the one from L.A. to New York, you have to go two nights, two days to Chicago, and then another night and a day you're in New York, but, um, they were very, uh, powerful experiences because 
the they were just I remember them vividly, but I also remember them romanticized and and they were just cool experiences. I probably was extremely bored, you know, at the time throughout many periods of it. But I also remember meeting other young kids and uh, kids my age at the time. And uh, I remember meeting uh, a, a girl who was somewhere around my age. And we, you know, probably met on the first night or the first day hanging out in the dining car or whatever it was and spent the next few days um, having a very intense I won't call it a relationship because there was nothing physical to it, but a very intense emotional connection. And, and those kind of connections are very heightened, you know, when you think back on them and right. uh, much like I, I imagine your, your, your road trip, what you remember or what you think you'll remember for 90 years is not the boring six hour tour in between you know, this state and that state. It's that intense, overall experience of the connection you probably did it with somebody else and it's a bonding experience or even if you did it alone it's that uh, i was alone going from you know one coast to the next and it was night and this and i was in texas or whatever it is and it just seems so significant but it was very um uh, uh it was you know part of my formative years and and it it very much informed me of a of a intensity that i was drawn to and a closeness of connecting with people and um, these experiences were very powerful to me. How, how they shaped me specifically. I, I couldn't tell you, I, I know that, you know, people are the sum total of all their experiences or all their choices. So it, it, it played as much a part in shaping who I am as, as, as much as, you know, sitting in a room playing uh, Nintendo for six hours did. Um, oh, right. Right. So, right. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta, so, love, but I, you gotta love Mike Tyson's punch out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do, you know, I do recall these things, and and you know, you got to take into consideration. I, I was talking to uh, my girlfriend Angelica about this not too long ago, but it's so interesting because this was in the early '80s into the mid '80s, maybe toward the late '80s, and uh, there was no internet at all. There was no uh, people had computers, but they there was no internet, and there was no so there was no email and there was no Twitter and Facebook and nobody had a cell phone. And so when I would leave that intense experience, whether I was at a summer camp at 10 or 11 or 12, or if I was on the train for three days and connected to somebody intensely, you know, there was the only way you were going to stay in touch was by exchanging um, addresses and writing to one another. And I did that on several occasions and that has been, a consistent that comes and goes throughout my, my life through now, I still find people to exchange letters with. Um, it'll go away for a year at a time. And then a friend of mine will say, well, I remember we used to write letters to each other. Let's write a letter. And it always brings up that old feeling of, um, you know, just, uh, well, first of all, it's heightened and it's very romanticized and it's, uh, and I don't mean in a romantic sense uh, with the person. It's, it could be just my best friend. It's very heightened and kind of it's uh, there's something uh, nostalgic and um, cathartic about writing a letter and sending it. And, and, and there's meditative states and 
And so I, I don't know how that informed me, but I do know that however I've formed, that is very interesting to me. And, and I, I connect to that very deeply, the handwritten letter and the, the uh, earnestness that, that comes with that. Well, I really liked the way you put uh, th- that special connection. Uh, we were able to review a film called California Typewriter. Uh, it was a documentary oh, I can't that wait came to out. See this, by the way, oh, it, yeah, it was so, it was so great. It had a short theatrical New York run, and we were so it was just so amazing. I'd seen this on Facebook and said I got to see this, but who knows when it'll come out? And two days later, the PR rep emailed me and said, "Do you want to see this?" And I was I just thought, are you hacking my emails? And uh, it's this great thing. And it just talked about what you were talking about, about this personability of a typewriter that you don't find with a computer. And so since you've been mentioned, we were talking dialogue and uh, this connection to letter writing, which I believe, uh, you know, a big reason I don't like Facebook or email other than I understand geography is um, I probably have 150 associates that, I've never gotten to just shake their hand, say hello, um, be in their presence, um, or just like you're saying, you write a letter saying what you're doing that, and that intimacy of that you actually took the time to sit down and uh, there's so much more that goes into it. But since we've been talking about English, or since we've been talking about dialogue, words, uh, I of course have it here, but it's always better than just reading it. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about what your mom and your dad did? Because this obviously equals a Quincy. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, so my my mom was a teacher, uh, but she she was a teacher. Not I'm not belittling the type of teaching she was, but she taught um, like kindergarten, first and second grades. But she was a uh, English major and a psychology major and got her master's in education and and. Uh, and my father was a writer um, and uh, wrote comedy, a comedy writer, and, and wrote for many shows and movies and such. And uh, so uh, I, I suppose we're leading to how that, that could contribute to somebody um, uh, having an ear for dialogue or longing to have one, whatever it, it was, or being exposed to it at least, you know. Uh, but that's what they did. Yeah. Now, with your with your father being a a writer um, and making movies, um, I I kind of feel like, and sometimes people think I'm being extreme when I say uh, that uh, filmmakers that are you know film nuts or they're so serious about making films or they have to be doing something film uh, that it really is like that Scorsese quote where he's like, film is a you know. A, a hormone that gets in your bloodstream and you can't get it out. So do you, do you have a place where you think, or when you had to make a conscious thought to say, okay, I'm always my father's son, but here's a place where I really want to have my own voice, my own writing and not uh, just, it seemed like, I'm just an apple who fell off the tree and I'm just going to be a regular old apple. Like I've always wondered what the process is for someone uh, who has a father that succeeded at something they're doing and it can apply to anything, but just with you, it happens to be movies and and television. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, interestingly enough, I think for myself, uh, my so my father, Mickey Rose, was a, a big comedy writer, and he wrote for like Carson, and he wrote uh, like he and Woody Allen wrote the first the first few movies together, and Woody's stand up and. Uh, you, you know, like bananas and take the money and run and such. And he wrote for Gary Marshall's shows and Dick Van Dyke and some other brothers and all these great comedy uh, acts and uh, series. But I don't really do what he did. And so I never feel um, that I'm trying to get out from under his uh, specific thing. It's not like uh my dad was a very serious novelist and I'm trying to be a very serious novelist. Um, we, we kind of do different things. Um, uh, but there's definitely the, the, my dad was very successful at what he did and I'm coming into my own success. I, I well, of course we're I'm using that term to mean financially and, uh, uh, you know, um, known to a public successfully uh whereas i i consider what i've been doing su- a success too i just haven't been um uh fully revealed to a public and and that's all you know in the works um but the but but meaning successful as a writer who sits down and writes every day i am that and have been for years but the the voice that i do is much different than what my dad did and my dad also while he did direct a film um, he 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 wasn't ever really in pursuit of being a director, and so he was actually uh, um, very impressed with what I'd been doing. Even when I started doing shorter projects and and web series stuff before I did my first feature, and when I did my first feature, he was just so blown away. He actually came running up to me and said, "I don't know how you do that." And and it's it's um, kind of apropos that you brought this up because. He, uh, I actually remember thinking, what do you mean you don't know how I did this? Like you've made big movies and you've made very famous movies um, and huge television shows, the biggest shows. So what do you mean you don't know how I did this? But I guess what he was saying is he never had, see, I've, I've had to go out and make things on my own um, without studios, without, uh, you know, um, network television uh, showrunners and those kind of people. And we've just gone out and made our own stuff. And so I guess what he was saying is, wow, I, I, I don't think I would have had the know-how or the drive to do that um, uh, on my own. But of course we were, and myself and people like myself who are filmmakers in my position or a similar position, we're doing this out of necessity, not because we woke up one day and said, I want to be somebody who not only is willing to shell out their own money to make their own movie movies, but uh, I don't want anybody else's help because, you know, I can do it all myself. It has nothing to do with that. It's all uh, necessity. Um, but, uh, uh, and this is a bit of a long winded answer for, for kind of a general question of, do I feel like I have to get out of his shadow? I mean, yeah, you got to get out of the shadow, but generally speaking, that stuff's in my own mind. Um, uh, also while my dad was hugely successful, uh, he's not a known entity to everybody unless I let them know what he wrote. And then they go, Oh, oh wow. Wow. You know, uh, what's his, like, uh, Aaron, Aaron, uh, yeah, say Aaron Sorkin. Sorkin's son. Right, yeah, right. I'm not Aaron Sorkin's son. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, uh, somebody like that. I'm, I'm not Steven Spielberg's son or what, you know, so it's not, 
it's it's really more of a you know it's more of getting out of your influences way than getting out of just your father's shadow in my case you know it's there's so many influences that were so important to me growing up and coming into my own as a writer that in the beginning you naturally the way a comic would emulate their favorite comic on stage until they found their own kind of you know place you know, I feel like writers often do that. I know I did that. And so a lot of my journey has just been coming to terms with the type of movie I want to make and then making it my own. Um, and so that I feel like just a process of working and working and working um, and reworking. So hopefully that answers your question a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's fantastic. I mean, I always say there's no right or wrong answer. And that was a that was a great way of explaining it. It gave me a sub question that I'm going to save here for a few minutes. Uh, uh, the thing that I wanted to say was, was when I was flying home from Germany a few weeks ago, uh, it's very interesting to me uh, since we've crossed paths uh, that more and more I hear people ask me if they've seen what your father wrote by specific title. And it's been this kind of interesting thing where it was like, before I met Quincy, I don't ever remember somebody talking about that film. But now it's like, I'm in the middle of the ocean over Greenland and somebody's talking to me about bananas. And it's just kind of like, this is really, really odd. Like, would this have happened if I didn't meet Quincy? So it's kind of some of those strange little moments that we have. Um, I, I noticed that you're kind films, of like when you, uh, yeah, go ahead. if you haven't seen a, if you haven't seen a car before or you hear a new word, suddenly that car is everywhere and that word is being used <laughs> by everyone. So it's, it's probably <laughs> just that your, your brain is tuned into it. So now it knows like when I hear the word bananas, I think of Quincy or the movie. And then it, right. as opposed to like, if it had been six weeks before we met or the day before we met, you might've heard the person talking about bananas next to you and not even thought of it twice, you know? Right. Oh no, that, that that's such a great uh way of putting it. Um now are uh when we talk uh, just still that kind of go I believe like when we have formative years or we have uh I forget all the different psychological terms. I I cuz I I don't really believe in lay, like you said we're all the the subtotal of literally 5 minutes ago uh made us who we are at this moment. Uh do you th- you had mentioned here you you didn't have a formal uh education which is fine because I don't think there's much of a difference between having a formal education or going to college and not doing well um I know people I know, I know people who you know have a master's degree and got D's in most classes so it's like okay um that's really great uh you uh Last night, when I, or the day before, when I was watching Miles to Go, which, of course, I just let people know we're not promoting films, but after you guys listen to this and get to know Quincy a bit, you guys can check out Miles to Go and Friends Effing Friends Effing Friends um, on Amazon Prime. Uh, for For Miles to Go, shooting in L.A., and then we won't discuss the film, but you've shot a film in New York, uh, yeah, the could narcissist. You, could, yeah, yeah, the narcissist. Could you could you tell us uh, since you uh, basically first off start if you could start with 
kind of the amount of time did you live in both cities and then kind of like what it was like what some of the things were like shooting in both cities because I've I've only been a part of projects in like uh most of my projects were in Hawaii so I didn't say I couldn't say like I did stuff in Hawaii and LA or San Francisco and Tampa so kind of for, yeah. for the first part the first part is what was it like having lived in both places and then and then how did that inform the shooting in the two different places oh uh well for your first part of the question so um I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, my parents were, and my sister too, but my my family's originally from New York, and there was a big shift to the West Coast for a lot of television writers and, and film jobs and such, um, and my parents were part of that move. And I was born and raised in Los Angeles, but because we had family and my parents were from uh, New York and they had partners in New York, uh, my, my dad did, uh, we would go back to New York every year, a couple times a year, for sure once a year, uh, if not a couple times a year. And um, so my, I, I mentioned that both for two reasons. One, because I was raised in L.A., so I spent a lot of time in the majority of my life in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I did, as you mentioned, move to San Francisco at one point. I even lived in Arizona for six months, which was just a crazy, didn't know what to do with my life at that moment, and I had a friend there, so followed him out there. But um, – but uh, that, that ended up pretty quickly. And then uh, I started trying to move to New York when I was 20, but I was a little out of control as a, as a youngster. And so I couldn't make it work. I was here for a limited amount of time. And then I went home and uh, to California with my tail between my legs and then quickly moved up to San Francisco. And, um, uh, but as for making movies, um, so miles to go, I'll try to answer this as succinctly as possible. It's, it's a little tricky to just graze over it, but the short answer would be, so I was living in LA. I had made a series of short films um, and web series all in LA. Actually, no, one of those films was made in New York. It was a short film. I didn't, didn't direct it. I, I, I wrote it and I'm in it. Um, I don't want to say I direct, I didn't direct it. My friend directed it, but I was very much involved in everything going on. So it, it, it didn't feel so much divided as it, it was definitely, I'll give him the credit, but it was, it was, I was very heavily involved in what was going on. But um, so I made that film in New York, that short film. And uh, this was before I made miles to go. And then all of those films, first of all, informed me that I could, and the web series informed me that I could make a film for very little money and uh, in Los Angeles, where I lived. So I wrote that first film to take place in Los Angeles because we had to shoot it accordingly. And, um, you know, and, and then I did another film in Los Angeles, Friends Up and Friends Up and Friends, which cost a little bit more money than Miles to Go. And then having done both of those and, and fully moving out to New York, finally, uh, after spending about five years back and forth doing not exactly half the year, half the year, but a month here, a month there, a couple months, a couple months, and et cetera. For family matters, I was traveling back and forth. Um, and uh, so I knew once I moved to New York fully, I was going to shoot a film in New York. And what I can say is, I know that just kind of glosses over all the films uh, and and the process, but, but the, the point to it is that 
in LA, you could shoot a film the exact same way I shot the narcissist in New York. The difference would be you, you, uh, and this is a matter of opinion granted, but uh, in New York, my feeling is that you can shoot on any street, any street. It could be across from a dump. I mean like a literal dump. I don't mean like a trashy house. I mean like an actual city dump. It could be in a, in a industrial area out in Bushwick. It can be in the middle of Manhattan. You could be uh, in central Park. wherever you are. In my opinion, it's a beautiful shot and uh, cinematic, let's say. Whereas when you're in L.A., if you scope out a place and you get there and there's some reason it's not working, it's not guaranteed that just walking around the corner is going to give you an equally as nice place as where you were 50 yards back around the corner. Um, and so that's like a big difference to me. And again, matter of opinion, but um, uh, where Miles to Go very much embraced shooting in Los Angeles, and we very much uh, um, scouted our specific areas and occasionally had to shift a block or three blocks for whatever reason and wing it on a different block. Um, in, in New York, shooting The Narcissist, I created the film specifically and the, and the shooting style so that we would be shooting it in so quick a schedule, but in a manner where the film actually takes place just wandering around New York and we were going to wander around New York shooting it. So um, even though I did scout certain areas, when we got there, if there was construction causing a sound issue, we just walked around the corner. Or if somebody was being annoying uh, and and because they wanted to disrupt our shoot, we just walked around the corner. And every area you'd go to, another shot that was equally as beautiful or more beautiful was revealed. Um, so uh, that's the big difference to me um, because at the level of films that I'm doing, these two specifically, or these three even, um, well, well, actually, you need permits in L.A., and miles ago had none. Friends of being friends, we ended up needing to get one after getting uh, stopped by the police. Um, and then we just got the permit. But in New York, you don't need a permit if you're not doing certain things or, uh, or if you're only doing certain other things. And so we didn't need a permit, and we could go anywhere we wanted to the most part, there's certain areas you can't go. Um, but uh, so it was just more free flowing. But, but again, you could shoot the way I shot the narcissist. I could have shot miles to go, but I didn't. And um, the big difference is just, again, whatever's in the filling up the screen behind the, uh, the actors or the foreground, etc. Yeah. I, you know, I've only been to New York. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've only been in New York City twice, and I would say that I completely ag agree with you because I don't believe if you have this great shot of uh, the Santa Monica Pier that, well, okay, bad example because it's a pier, but just, yeah, you can't really turn around from that view from Hollywood to downtown at night and then look to your left and, uh, you know, Westwood off in the distance looks just as great the way I found myself many times in New York City, as they would say, you know, if you don't want to be a tourist, don't walk around looking up. But I found myself, because uh, I, I, you know how it is, we, 
maybe you can do it. I, I can't turn thinking like a filmmaker off, even if I'm not making a film or haven't made one in years, I'm still thinking like, Oh, this would be a cool place for a date scene or this, 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 this is why I see they shot this action movie here. And, and um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a really great uh, answer and way of looking at it. Now, something that always interests me about filmmakers is that they're obviously great at film. If we're seeing their film at a festival or on demand um, prime, uh, what are some, uh, I know, I know you'd mentioned you have a, you, you love taking photos, which of course that's linked into being a director, but is there some hobbies or maybe you like to go shoot hoops every Sunday with some buddies? Is, is there something that's off the path of art that's, uh, that's, you know, that's like for, for Quincy that also contributes to Quincy, but it, it would, you would, you'd not, you would not think that it contri contributes to the films, but it's like part of you. Um, well, not, I don't know. Uh, I, I, not necessarily. I mean, I do, I don't, I don't like go shoot hoops or anything. I have, I mean, there's been, a, there's been years when I've been, I grew up being an athlete. So there's been years when I'm like, with friends and we're like, let's all get rackets and play tennis this summer. And then we're suddenly playing tennis really in, intensely, not good, not well, but, you know, but suddenly we're obsessed with tennis and, or basketball, we're going to play basketball every day and then we're going to join us. And it's like, no, it never, it never lasts. But in New York, I found that um, something I never did in Los Angeles as an adult, which I, I don't know why I, I have some friends who do it there. And I just, I guess it just comes down to a, well, I, I don't want to bag on LA because I, I'm from there and I spent so many years there. So I'm not just some New Yorker going like, oh, LA's the worst and New York's the best. You know, it's not that. I, I earned my right to have the problems I have with LA. I, I, I have many and I've earned that right to have those problems. And That's I also great have a lot of admiration. Sorry. Yeah, I've earned my That's right. That's a really great bumper sticker. <laughs> totally. And Sorry, then, go ahead. Uh, but, but, uh, but I don't know why I never rode a bike in L.A. Well, I, every once in a while, I'd, you know, somebody would say, let's go down to Venice Beach and rent a bike, and we'd do that. But in, in New York, um, I've, I've been living here full-time almost four years, and for five years prior to that, uh, like I said, I was spending about half the year here and there. And um, uh, I, I love riding my bike around the city to errands, you know, uh, from the West village to Brooklyn to Williams, you know, it doesn't matter where I love it. And there's, again, yes, it plays into, I see, I don't think, a, and I'm going to use this term, but you know, like a lot of people are uncomfortable with it, but I'll just say, if you take an artist and I'm not saying I'm an artiste, but if you take an artist, I don't think you ever like, or just even call it a writer. You never shut off the writer's brain. So even if you're uh, um, playing basketball, you're still going to be hearing what everybody's saying. And that's all going to be, you know, coming into, and you're going to be like, Oh, well, I'm on a court playing basketball. This could be a scene. So the next time you're writing a scene and you realize that you've written a hundred scenes of just people either sitting on a bench or walking up the street or in someone's apartment or in someone's house or at a restaurant, you're like, Oh, I could put them on a basketball court. Why not? You know? So everything informs 
uh, an artist of any um, kind of uh, uh, medium. And so whether I'm riding my bike or not, A, when I'm riding my bicycle, I usually have a headset on and I usually have something like uh, some really good jazz or like the Beastie Boys. And, and they both have a, they have a different yet equally powerful effect on my brain. And they're very cinematic. And you're, you're riding through this gorgeous city, the wind's in your hair. And uh, you're, you're looking around and you're in New York City and everything's like a movie you've seen before and you even have a soundtrack in your ear. So it's all informative to the filmmaker within. But, um, well, so, well no, also, I can't Quincy, say I, I, I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off. I, no, I, no, I, I'm fine. very uh, We have, uh, speaking of influences and things that we all enjoy in life, uh, is our special guest on the phone with us? Um, if you can hear me, I'm on the phone with you. <laughs> hello, hello, Miss Rainey. How are you? This is Rainey. <laughs> Quincy, Paul. Rainey Kerwin. How are you guys? Yeah, yeah, Good, yeah. What's happening? Full name, so people can Google me. Good job, Quincy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and go job, and rent Quincy the Rose. wedding invitation. Wedding yes, invitation yes. out and about. Watch the wedding invitation. That is a Perfect effing hilarious wedding. movie. Yeah. All right, my job here is done. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much, <laughs> Randy Kerwin, everybody. I know. <laughs> so Leave them as, wanting more, right? That's right. what? I said leave them wanting more. Yes, exactly. Yes. I, 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 want, I would watch the wedding invitation, too, but if it got into the wedding invitation, 12, rogue warrior, dancer, I would probably stop. Um So this part of the show, and uh, I'll let you guys know when we have like seven or eight minutes left, and then I have a couple of uh, questions that we ask every guest, but we have a solid 20 minutes here. I wanted to do something where uh, for the audience, um, I've had the good fortune to uh, have these two guests on before and also um, speak with them over email. They've both contributed advice to the show, advice to myself as a host. So that's why I felt it was important to have them on episode 250. But this part of the show, I wanted to see what filmmakers would like to ask each other. So this is a part of the show where I would like to hear some things that Rainey can (laughs) ask Quincy that we can uh, uh, bring to it. So Rainey, fire away with... uh, with your first question sure um how do you get your hair so silky (laughs) is it silky i always i'm always worried that it's too fluffy and and it's uh i use this i have a leave-in conditioner um i put it in when i go to sleep and i have to sleep on it or it doesn't take the right shape like if i just take a shower now (laughs) and put it in it won't be the same three hours later than if i sleep on it i don't know what happens in my sleep little munchkins come in or maybe Angelica gets a hair dryer and does something, but uh, yeah, please. Paul, Paul, what you don't know is that um, I would say every like two months ish, maybe less. Quincy and I get on the phone for a quick question about something in distribution or post production, and it tends to be this like two hour extravaganza of, I, of going in all these different directions. So this just feels like our regular two month call, which we actually had two days ago. 
Um, okay, oh, I have that's a question. hilarious. I have a, and, it's, and we'll keep it clean because usually there's like some uh, F words that go back and forth, but not this time. We're going to be polite. Okay, I have a question for well, you. Well, we're going to censor here, but if you want to be polite, Rainey, feel free. You know what? I am going to be polite and only just today because it's my dad's birthday. And oh, happy he, birthday. He, he thinks that I don't swear, so I'm going to continue <laughs> that myth today. Oh, um, that okay. he listens, And you think that he listens to the show. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Chris. Uh, okay, so <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Actually, we probably shouldn't say too much because he could be listening, but he's kind of a little um, technically impaired when it comes to stuff. So oh, well, happy birthday, he's not, da- Dad! He's not listening. Yeah, yeah, you dad. can call him Dad, or you can call him Carrie Kerwin, but Dad is good too. Okay, so here's my question, which I'm always curious about filmmakers and I was recently on a panel and I said I was a filmmaker and then I defined it because I think filmmaker is sort of this generic term that a lot of people use as a blanket but you're truly a filmmaker in that you write direct produce act and then wear a ton of other hats I'm sure with casting and locations and all that but I am specifically interested in how you write and the reason I ask that is because people do it differently right they outline or they start with a scene, or they just have a character, or they just have a title or a log line, or they just have the ending. What is your, I mean, you've, you've written probably several, but you have three that you've shot. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, well, so, well, well I, I, away to my, away to my echoing now. Yes, you are. We we only want to hear what you have to say one time, Quincy. If we want to hear it again, we'll put the podcast on repeat. That's right. How's that? Am I stopping an echo? Yes, you're good. Okay. Paul, you can hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. So uh, thanks for that question, Rainy. Thanks for setting me up for that. Oh, Christ. Enough with your horn honking outside. Um, so <laughs> the writing process for me it depends on the pro on what I'm writing and how the idea came to me. Um, sometimes I am driving, walking, thinking, talking, whatever it is. And an actual story idea comes to me like an actual storyline. And I'll sit down and I'll, I won't say I write like a giant outline. Like some people might write a really in-depth outline. It, it, it could literally just be a beats outline where I write like one, girl and guy are breaking up Two, uh, you know, uh, man goes to friend, woman goes to friend three, you know, like whatever. And it's just little kind of like an outline map of like this story that I see would be pretty funny. Now, while I'm thinking it and putting that down, I'm seeing the, the story. And then I move to dialogue once I have that outline, because that dialogue will always personally, it always will bring me through what I'm trying to achieve. And then eventually it's always over dialogue. It's like, it's, it's too much. Like it's, it'll, a scene that'll probably end up being two pages or three pages might start as five or six. Um, I don't worry about that part at the beginning, but then also sometimes I'm just walking and I think about a conversation I had with my sister or my friend or you or whoever. And, and I'll just, I think that was really funny. That could fit somewhere. And I don't know where it's going to go or what script or what anything. And I'll just write that scene. Um, other t- do you, are you one of those people that walks around with a pen and piece of paper and you have to jot it you down know, as often, you 
oftentimes, yes, but lately I've found, and I don't like it, but I find myself putting little notes and things into notes on my cell phone. Um, but yeah. I used to write, walk around with the paper, and oftentimes I do have the pen and paper, and if I do, I prefer that. But, um, uh, yes, I, I've always kind of jotted down thoughts. Often I, I can forget everything in, like, half a second. Uh, uh, so if I'm uh, – I remember when I was doing Miles to Go – uh, I remember being stuck and I was always jogging at that time and late at night. And anytime I got stuck, if I went for a little jog within like a block or two, I realized I wasn't thinking about jogging anymore. I was actually thinking about a scene and sometimes a solution would come to me. And if I didn't turn around and go right back, like sometimes I would just say, <laughs> yeah, just keep jogging. You'll remember. Yeah. And then I'd get home and I'd have no idea what the solution was. But uh, so mostly I would run back. And and I keep repeating the word in my head like like she has a she, she has a stepmother she's never seen she has a stepmother she's never seen she has a, and I if I don't say that then I get home and I'm like what was I gonna put in there, um, so it, it really is different on 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 every project but quite often I have an idea for a story I want to write and then I write it from the dialogue as opposed to any kind of plot based thing and then I have points that I want to hit. Um, yeah, I don't know. What about you? What, how do you go about it? Um, well, you know, I've, I've got three scripts, one that I've made and two in the, that are complete and the next ones to go. So I probably don't have, you know, as, as much experience writing scripts as you do with three under my belt. So I think with these three, they're sort of different. I mean, the first one was the wedding invitation and I, I, you know, I wrote it as a vehicle for myself. So I literally started out with, um, with a scene. Um, and I went from there and I built the script, but the other two were specific ideas, um, that I, that I'd had in my mind. And I knew I, I guess they were concepts more than, than specific scene ideas. They were just concepts of something that I wanted to tackle. And I built the story around it, but I've never, I always, I always kind of do it backwards. Like I always come up with my page 10 after like, okay, well, we got to move everything. Cause this is my inciting incident. And then, Oh, I need my midpoint to be here. And I don't know what it is yet. Um, oh wait, I'm too far for act three to be starting. I got to pull it back. So I don't, I don't outline um, like that in the more traditional sense. Yeah. 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 I don't even think like that. Like is it, 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 is like when I'm writing, I'm never even aware of what's act one, two, or three. I I just write, and I've never thought to myself, oh, I gotta back this up because it's act three now, and I need a plot point B and plot point A, and I need the, I need a a, a, a MacGuffin or something. You know, it's like I I don't yeah I never think in those terms. I think I I hope I hit those points naturally, um, kind of just intuitively, but. But I've never written that, that that way, except actually when writing, and I've written with a couple uh, writing partners from over the years, and when we've written stuff together, the first thing we do is just talk about an idea that we're, which is what we're focusing on, and we just kind of sh- shoot the shit and make each other laugh and uh, or, or interested or whatever it is, it's not a comedy, um, and just kind of enjoy talking about the story. Then we move to like, a real structured outline so that we can be clear on what the, the story is. But then once you have the outline, like then the dialogue is all arbitrary almost because if, if you have a, um, if you have an outline that's so clear, I found, which is it's such a relief 
because it really just allows you to just write anything you want then and, and maybe even try to stray as far away from talking about what's going on, um, which to me is often more interesting anyway, um, uh, um, you, you know, as opposed to talking about what's happening um, uh, in the film itself. But of, of course, you're going to have to have some sort of uh, talking about what's going on or else it'll be totally crazy. But um, have you, have uh, you written a lot with partners? I've okay. So I've, I've had two, three, three writing partners for different projects. One person I've written four or five scripts with one. I wrote one with, and then one, I wrote a couple, maybe three, we wrote a television show together and we ended up shooting the pilot, um, uh, like a pilot presentation that was a full pilot, but, uh, was not issued by a, a network. We were trying to sell it. Um, uh, but so I've written, yeah, in a couple different ways with each of those partners. It was like, it is different for each, each person I was working with. Yeah, I can't, um, I can't imagine like, because the, the way I write is so like, it's kind of a mess until it isn't. Like, I think if you mm-hmm. were to read a first draft of the script of mine, you'd be like, well, I don't get it. Who, what, this isn't, like, I think I have to kind of polish it. It's, it's like a, a piece of art. <laughs> to, Absolutely. To no, I, I, I guess it's, it's like, it's just a disaster until it's a finally turns into a, a vase, you know, you can put a flower your first in it. draft is perfect. I don't, yeah, that'd be crazy if your first draft was perfect. Although there are those writers who say your first draft was probably your, your best draft and all the other polishing is, is ruining it. Um, uh, but that's kind of, they don't, I don't know really... my writing then. They wouldn't say yeah, that exactly. Mine. Me too. They well, no yeah. Too much car wax on the car. Isn't good. That is true there. Quincy. Yeah, but there are certain writers who talk about that, like really major, major writers. And I just think those different writers have like some gift where it's just that's that's their thing. Like, you know, like you, you hear, uh, you know, like Taxi Driver was written in six days or something or eight days or whatever it is. Right. And you're just like, wow, like you didn't I mean, they must have adjusted it a little bit. But it's it's like, wow, that's you know, that's amazing. You hear that kind of stuff. Um you know, uh, I did that one time. I, I went to I went away for the weekend, and I was determined to, like, write a script in the weekend. I'd have nothing to do. I'd just sit there and write. I couldn't get anything done. It's like that's not – I can't write when I'm supposed to write. I have to – like, I have to write when it's there, you know? Like, when it's there, it's like, okay, put everything aside, sit down and start writing it. Because it's so, it's so easy then, you know? It, it just flows. But those times yeah. when you're sitting at your desk and there's, you know, you put your – the theory of, you know, if you can write for 20 minutes, you've had a great day and you set your timer for 20 minutes at the end of 20 minutes, that's good. You keep going. Like, I understand that in principle to keep working on it every day, because if you let that lapse go, I'm sort of, you know, three hours, I have, I have to spend another three hours going back to see where I was and get back into the rhythm. Uh. And, and when I write, I write, like I, I play all characters and sometimes I talk out loud and I'm like playing the bad guy sure. and voicing his, voice and so it's like I have to if I'm in that mode it's just easy but if I'm sitting down to write when I'm not feeling it or have a concept to, that I want to get done that day I find it's just painful <laughs> well, yeah Rainy, yeah. Rainy I mean, you brought up something I oh sorry go ahead no no go 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 for it Paul well, no, you, Rainy you brought up a good question uh, that I have for Quincy that plays into what you were saying about writing is you wrote as a vehicle for your acting 
Quincy, with your writing, at what point do you side? And I know, like, Rob Reiner jokes, I'm the cheapest actor I can get. Um, what, do you, what, when do you decide, <clears throat> okay, like, this part is going to be me? And then in your next, then in Friends Effing Friends, you weren't acting. So playing into what Rainey says about how your writing is, if one of the major characters is you, how does that affect your writing? Well, I try to play all the characters in the film. Uh, no. Um, so I, <laughs> I, with, with Miles, I always just write. I don't worry about, well, that's not exactly true. You know, I generally, I just, well, no, first and foremost, I do write whatever I'm most interested in at that moment at that, you know, I, I shape it for me. Now I always know that either one of the characters, whether it's the lead or the second or whatever it is that I know that I can play that character because I created the character. And I know that if in the end we're going to give this character to somebody else, it might have to be shaped differently. Now deciding whether or not I play the character, like I played the character in miles to go. I knew I was playing that character a hundred percent before I even made it. There was no question I was going to make whatever movie I was making. I was going to be in because Going back to your Rob Reiner joke, I guess if that's who who said it, is it really was a matter of cheap, quick, and capable of being that character without questioning anything. You know, I just could just do it. Um, and then with Friends Living Friends, it came down to a group, like a, a, a you know a group decision that I wasn't going to be in it and that I was going to step back. And then when I made the narcissist, I knew that I was going to be in it. Um, and it was the only way I could make the narcissist for as quickly as possible, as cheaply as possible as I did without, it was just, it was the only way. So, and I want you know the to- other thing about that is like, cause I found, you know, directing and acting in something is difficult, but I think it also is easier and that it skips the step of translating what you want to the actor because yeah, you innately know, is- you know? Yeah. And I don't, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it's not difficult because it's all difficult. I, I would say it's difficult to, to, to have it, the outcome be great as, as opposed to it just being difficult to do. Um, <laughs> but I do think everybody thinks differently. And, and some people think it's so mind boggling that somebody who wrote something and is producing something could be directing it and be in it. And then other people, it's just like, I, I don't, you know, like for me, I don't really see, the difference in any of it. I, I, the only difference is that I'm not sitting there looking at a monitor going like, yes, that was exactly what I, you know, like that's perfect. And let me see it again. I have to do it and then either look at it or just decide we're, we're moving, you know? Um, did you watch, again, did you watch, it, did you watch playback well. on, did you watch playback on everything on, uh, on the narcissist? No, on, the narcissist? On the, no, no, not a, uh, on the narcissist. We had almost no time to do anything. Like on the narcissist, what I did was, I had to, oh, okay, yes. So here, on Miles to Go, we didn't because the camera was a brand new camera that my DP had not fully mastered and something was wrong with it. And so there was a screw up where I couldn't do playback and listen. So I would watch, every once in a while, I'd watch playback and then I would listen to the tape. Or sometimes I would just listen to the tape trying to hear if it sounded like authentic or not. And then I would just ask my AD, did it look okay? Because if it looked okay and this is what it sounded like, we're good. And then 
Um, Independent and obviously filmmaking. I, yeah. Yeah, but also, like, obviously <laughs> I had a feeling for what it felt like in the scene already. So, you know, and I only have my own uh, judgment to go by. So I'm only ever going to think it's as good as I would think it is as good as or, or, you know, I'm only going to think I'm as great as I think I could be. So even if somebody else thought it was phenomenal or bad, I might think it's the best or the worst or whatever. And then with the narcissist, I had to watch everything because the narcissist, which is not released yet. And we just played one festival and we're hoping to see where we get it next. Um, that was shot and designed to be shot in one take scenes. I've told Rainey all of this, but Paul, you don't know a whole lot about it, but the whole thing was shot in singular takes. Um, and the camera was locked in one place and it either panned to follow or it stayed totally locked. And the scene took place from a distance moving toward the camera or moving away from the camera or just still where they were or crossing streets or, and it was all just shot within the environment of New York. So I would have to rewatch things mostly to make sure because I was never going to cut in any scene that the scene was usable as a whole, because if I didn't have the scene at least once as a whole, I couldn't move on. And also, did anybody look in the camera? Um, did anybody, you know, because it would just be bystanders walking by, and sometimes they saw the camera and would do something stupid in front of the camera. Um, the majority of the time they didn't. So, yeah, I had to watch playback for that. Would you say it was, more, it was way more stressful shooting the narcissist? Because, I mean, those are such long takes you had. I mean, one thing goes wrong and you're screwed. You're starting over. No, I, um, I, I uh, no, there's, I am, I, well, I primarily like working in master takes anyway. So in all three of my films, I shot every scene uh, straight through. And then I would push in on miles to go a couple times in friends of being friends. We, we got more, let's call it coverage um, for the ability to cut and a lot of things. But I for personally, like there's, there, well, there's no pressure on friends of being friends because I'm not in the scene. So I don't have to worry about remembering anything, but the only pressure is to have it fully memorized and work through to where you're doing it. But I actually feel it's more freedom when you're doing that. And uh, the anxiety or the stress as a director is just in the idea, will it be able to be executed by the actors? And then down the line, is it going to come together in an interesting manner? But you can't, you know, you can't worry about what the result's going to be. I just got to focus on the work. And so I felt the script was solid. I thought it was, you know, it was very, I thought we were talking about interesting stuff and in a fun way with fun actors and interesting people. And there's only four of us and it's two women walking by themselves and two guys, me and my buddy walking by ourselves. And so uh, the pressure was, there was no pressure. There was like, it, it almost mm -hmm. felt like we weren't making a film. Like we were just, I mean, we literally just band of thieves kind of walked around like a <laughs> traveling circus. And we had a suitcase. I had a three-person crew, my sound guy, my, my DP slash cameraman, and me as the director. And then I had one friend helping out when I was um, in the scene as an AD. And when I wasn't in the scene, he wasn't there. Actually, he was there one day when I was just directing, but then he couldn't make it a couple of days. It was fine. And, uh, amazing. And then we just... You're, you're yeah, amazing. Just, I love this. Yes. Yes, I, I agree and with you. And we just you're 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 talking like you're talking like uh uh what you guys both do and rainy uh and both i mean both of you guys have done it you're both too modest but i mean it's, it's almost like a wait independent i'm not too, I'm not too modest 
If you want to compliment me, I'll take it. Did you? Oh, oh my God! Did you turn into an egomaniac since we last talked, Rainy? <laughs> oh my yeah, God! That's what happened. You were like I have, I have, I, I have a hang-up button right here. I don't. Let's take a vote, Quincy. Um, no, well, I. Quincy's gonna vote I, for me staying. I know it. That's Come true. On. Absolutely. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. I would vote for you too. Um, you're the. I was gonna I vote to for you to was, hang up on me. <laughs> I, I I wanted to thank you before we proceed with just the last couple of questions uh, that I of course did not know that you guys uh, spoke. So the fact that you guys take that time and then did this uh, with it kind of being like we had this conversation yesterday or two days ago, uh, we really thank you as a show to be willing to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, play the same encore, if you want to call it that. Uh, well, we didn't really I, have this conversation. It was sort of a distribution conversation. But I oh, actually okay. find this really interesting because these are the questions that, yeah, I want to ask Quincy, but you don't necessarily, you know, sit down in this forum to, to always ask those, you know, creative well, questions. Well, start a podcast and I'll come on. Yeah, I was going to say, was that a pitch to be a co-host, Rainy? Because I know the boss. <laughs> um, you do? Yeah, I think you I I wanted to say uh, that uh, very quickly, um, Rainy, you guys have, for those of you that don't know, and there's not a reason to know that you guys have also been such a great help to this show. You're both, uh, you're both filmmakers who have given me advice about the show or about hosting. So I wanted to thank you. And I wanted to say that on air because for new listeners and as we grow in listeners, uh, the premise of this show is filmmakers and artists supporting, promoting, or helping each other. So uh, it's a very exciting thing when a, when a guest is willing to, you know, answer a question or uh, so sometimes I've had guests ask me something about filmmaking because I have a few films on Prime. I'll never reveal the titles, but they're that bad. Uh, so I love this idea of just sitting around and sharing everything. So uh, with that. Well, thank uh, you, we have, Paul. Oh, you're, you're very yeah, welcome. Thank you for what you do. We, you know, we, yeah. we, it would just be us talking to each other. If, if somebody like you didn't come along, who's so passionate about films and filmmaking and filmmakers and, and uh, put on a show like this, like, you know, it takes a lot of work to do what you and your team does. And, and, uh, you know, we're grateful to have somebody like you in our corner. It's, it's, it's so important, you know? Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that Quincy very much. And so does our team. They were, they were excited about this episode because they both, uh, one had not seen friends, effing friends, effing friends, but loved your, ep- your episode with Lee Lou. And then some of our team watched the wedding invitation and, and was like, have Rainy on again. And I'm like, I can't have Rainy on every month or Quincy on every week. So I thought, okay, the best thing to do is going to be, is going to be to put both of them on. And then it's a milestone episode. So it can kind of be a win, win, win. So uh, what, what we do here is, is we have, uh, we have one last question for Rainy. Uh, then we'll let her go, and then we have just three quick questions that we ask every guest. There I go. I'm getting too excited and babbling over my words. 
Then we have three questions for Quincy. Um, so far away, uh, Rainy, what is your swan song? Last question. Um, I'm always interested very simply in rehearsal versus improv versus both. What do you do? And maybe that's like not rehearsal. so specifically the narcissist because that was so narcissist, sorry, was so different. But, okay, you don't like rehearsal. No, no, no. <laughs> but the, 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 the difference is with the narcissist, it was absolutely mandatory that the actors, and I was one of the actors, were running lines with each other because when they got to the set, it needed to function as if it was a stage play, the actors. You know, they needed to be able to just mm-hmm. – now, granted, each one of us could have gone off and just memorized the lines with somebody else and then never experienced it with the person we were doing it with until we got there. But it just made yeah. it so much easier, I think. And I, I think I can speak for all of us involved. Um, I know the two women involved, uh, Augie Duke and Jessica DiGiovanni, spoke to each other several times and did Skype rehearsals with each other as well as probably did it with other people or ran lines their own manner. And uh, Zach Tejan and I, who are great friends and he was in miles to go also. And we're just, we already have the rapport that we display in the films. Um, we ran lines several times. And then also I ran lines with Angelica, which was funny because then she ended up saying all exact lines, which just sound very strange coming out of my girlfriend's mouth. Uh, but uh, are you adding Foley any, again to your, to your background? I'm adding Foley. I add Foley, Foley to my conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I like <laughs> okay. the truth. The truth is I, I'm in the middle of Ohio, but I wanted you to think I'm in New York city. You're in New York. So okay. I, I just wanted to on, call you out. Sound. I didn't want you to get credit for that. Exactly. No. There, there's a, you can't hear it, but there's a stabbing going on right outside. Um, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> so there's uh, uh give me your Metro card fool. Uh, and uh, so there's a, uh, no, but there's so there was no rehearsal, rehearsal, but there was talking through. I'm not a fan of rehearsal in general. Obviously, you have to stage things, but I, I'm just not a fan of it. Maybe one day I will be, uh, but but in general, no. Hmm. Well, and that Rady, was my but, final question. All right, well, let's, and, let's, uh, go ahead, let's here's let my Rainey final exit. comment. <laughs> yes, yes, Quincy. Of Quincy, let's work on something. I don't know who's going to direct and who's going to act, or we'll both act or direct or something, but um, I think we should work on something at some point. All right. Can, I'll take can that I, as a yes. Can I, okay. Can I, yeah, that can I throw in that I get to, co- that I get to cover the screener? Yes. Done. Um, I, I, first of all, admire both of you because you know that I'm not being, and I'm going to be naughty here, even though Rainey said she wouldn't cuss that I'm not a pushy asshole press because I was telling Quincy the other day, uh, uh, of course I was trying to be sneaky and Quincy's so, so smart. I said, you know, maybe it would help the show if I just saw a scene of the narcissist, which was me just blatantly wanting to see a scene. And I respect that Quincy said, no, we're keeping it under wraps. And Rainey's film had done this for audience had done this great festival run. I met her when it ended. She actually offered me a ticket to her premiere and she didn't even know me. So that's where I knew she was going to be cool. Anyways, long story short, I waited nine months to see the wedding invitation. I remember getting out of bed at like eight or nine in the morning to watch it. It was, and it was finally on demand. And then I told Quincy nine months is my record so I'm willing to wait longer. So now with you two, there, there is a stupid, pointless, 
how long I wait till I see the movie. So um, <laughs> I have no problems if it's nine months. Uh, but uh, Rainy really was uh, not with complete intent. I understand the distribution and the business. I never had a film good enough that somebody would have waited nine months. So that's why I kind of enjoyed it because I was like the B movies that I have on Prime. People would be like, I'm not going to wait nine days. So. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to say that. Well, it's, thank it's, you, it's, Paul. Oh, thank you, and so thanks well. for all your support, the review oh, you guys did, and having me on, and um, all yeah, the lovely no things. I let Quincy say it earlier, but I'll say it now. Without podcasts like yours, independent filmmakers would not have a voice, would not have an audience. So, um, round of applause for you and your team. So, thanks a lot. Oh, thank you so much, Rainy, and you have a fantastic day. All right, bye, bye guys. Rainy. All right. Aloha. Okay. Always fun. You know what? I will just briefly say here, Quincy, of course, as you know, I, I always enjoy talking with Rainey. I've, I've actually met her one time when she did my headshots, but uh, she's just so fantastic. Yeah. People out there at festivals, you ever get a chance to meet her when she does a Q and a take the time to stay for the Q and a, don't bug Rain if she's eating dinner or, or enjoying her privacy, even though she'd probably still be kind. But uh, she's a filmmaker. You see her films there and uh, get that in. So my last couple of questions for you, Quincy, have just become the standard, as I talked about ripping off inside the actor's studio. Um, no, I'm oh. not going to ask you what they say at the gates of heaven. Um, the first one is, if you could do dream genre you have your script, your cast, your budget, what would that uh, genre film be? You mean, like, it has to be a genre? Like, a, generally, like, because usually when you speak of, like, a genre film, you're talking, like, a horror or a fantasy or... Yeah, so it's like, let's, you know, if you, wanted, if you wanted to make an action movie or if you wanted to just make an art house drama or, you know... Yeah, I I think just kind of what I'm doing, uh, but in a in a scaled up version would be great. Uh, you know, to 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 get to do what uh, Nicole Holof Center gets to do, or, or Noah Baumbach, or or uh, people like that. That would be that's my my. I, I like doing those kind of films. You know, what Woody Allen does, and um, not I'm not a, a I don't. I'm not particularly interested in horror or sci-fi or any of that. Not that I don't go see these films, but, uh, uh, and some I do, some I don't, but, but my, my specific interest lies in, uh, interpersonal relationships and, uh, and, and stories where those can live in a reality. Um, not, uh, not in some imaginary, uh, far off or nearby universe. Well, we, uh, for, for those of you, excuse me, sure you, you've heard of or watched uh, The Squid and the Whale, uh, Noah Baumbach, you have to watch oh, yeah. his films. Unfortunately, I've, that's the only one that, I, that I've always been able to find very easily. And God, I'm going to pronounce this wrong. So Quincy, can you please tell us that new one that just hit Netflix? Oh, the Meyerowitz? Yeah, yeah, yeah the Meyerowitz stories. Uh uh new and selected it's so it's so it, he's it's just great he's uh he, every film he does you know is just you know one better than the next and they just 
he's just a real master. It's it's a pleasure watching them and breaking them down and just enjoying them first and then watching them again and kind of seeing just the pace and the pitch and the tone. And it's just really, um, it's, uh, it's something else. Uh, he's, he's, he's great, but, and that movie's really great. Yeah. You guys, Netflix, uh, so. Yeah. It's Netflix the other day. I, you guys got to check this out. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler uh, has to do with some adult siblings. Go check it out. Sometimes on this show, I don't, I won't say something. And then people will tell me, you didn't say enough. And I said, well, if I don't send you to the websites or to go do some of your own research, then what that's half to me. That's half the fun of finding a movie. Uh, the yeah, second yeah. question, the second question was just basically is very simple. Uh, what's a genre you would never do? I mean, lights uh, are off. I don't know. That's too difficult because, first of all, playing with nevers and all of that stuff is already, you know, the second you say never, uh, then you think, well, maybe. Um, I don't know. I'll just put it to you. I don't think in terms of sci-fi and in the true sense of, like, sci-fi fantasy. I, I'm not saying, I, like, like, the, the, like, if you consider Gattaca to be sci-fi, I could see myself potentially making something interesting like that, but uh, not really. I, I I think I just, uh, or I mean, I, I can't say never to, to stop. I, I don't really see myself making these giant, you know, out of control, uh, fast and the furious kind of movies. Uh, and not because I, I couldn't find them enjoyable, but because I would have no idea where to start, what to do, how to go about making. I, no, I don't see them in my head. I see interpersonal relationships i see dialogue i see families friends relationships struggles i am always working through stuff that i personally have dealt with or i'm dealing with or fear i might have to deal with one day whether it's eventual death or or you know living in a godless universe or whatever it is that's consuming me you know so that's what i like to work on so I don't really see myself doing anything like those um, uh, films. I, I'm I'm more intrigued about like like a David O. Russell kind of film, which I love. David O. Russell, like those yeah. kind of films, even seem out of reach, but they seem similar enough to where maybe that's where I would reach to a kind of silver linings playbook type of film. Uh, uh, maybe it would be fun to do some sort of like like even Woody Allen. Like I, I mean, you know, Woody Allen and Noah Baumbach, you know, totally different filmmakers even though people try to compare them both but Woody Allen has stuff like Bullets Over Broadway and Broadway Danny Rose and Purple Rose of Cairo even those films I don't think in those terms and maybe I will one day maybe it's a a, 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 you know a thing of maturing and and getting into a, a more a further place in my career you know what I mean and then those things will come to me but really I'm focused on these kind of films. Um, I have several uh, that I won't talk about that I'm lining up the ability to be able to make them with a specific producer and we're going to get going, but I don't want to talk about those things, but, um, but, but those will be like, you know, the step up and, and those are really what my passion is. You know, if you look at Noah Baumbach's films, if you look at Nicole Hollis Center's films, um, you know, that's where my heart lays, Uh, you know, uh, uh, Obviously, Derek C. in France, I love his, you know, his 
his place beyond the pine seems like something to achieve, uh, to strive for, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas Blue Valentine is like a mind boggling, phenomenal film. Um, and more along what I already do, I think, although much more dramatic, I would say, but, but, but still um, aiming for a, for a level of verisimilitude that, you know, is just inseparable sometimes in your mind as to whether it's real or fake and uh, not mumblecore, not that kind of thing, not, you know, improvised because, but to where it's just, you're watching it and you really feel like these are real characters. Um, uh, Somebody you know or relate to, or, you know, have seen, that's my, that's my drive. So yeah, I don't want to say never, but, Let's, I'll just keep myself in my lane over here. Well, that's uh, no, I mean that's that's smart because I've asked about ten guests these questions, and the most popular answer is sci-fi, and the one that someone says they'll never do is porn. So uh, I oh, like. Oh well, yeah, naturally I'm not doing porn. I mean, that's, yeah, I don't exactly. That a genre, though. <laughs> right. That's not yeah. a genre to me. That's that's a that's a you know that's a something totally different. Right. Exactly. Um, so we. What I just the last thing I wanted to close with was Quincy had mentioned David O. Russell, Silver Lightning's playbook. Um, I think the the best thing and I relate to Cameron Crowe with it is uh writing about the small moments, the small smiles, the tiny things, whether you're walking in Berlin and see the moon for the first time or you're in Switzerland and you've never seen a lake in Switzerland. Um, I love films like that and uh, those films that that are like Silver Linings Playbook seems like it's this maybe that it's a little bit bigger than it is because the Bradley Cooper character has these problems and Jennifer Lawrence has these problems but at the heart of it it's just everyone trying to help each other through their life which is what all of us do or should be doing if we're not which if you really break that film down, every character has someone that they're relying on to move forward, whether it's the dad yep. and the son or the his friend that listens to Metallica and how he's helping his friend. And, and so, yeah, films like that um, are also some of my favorites. The Fighter I can't actually watch because I, I, I don't talk to my brother and he's always acted like the older brother does in that film. He's always tried to get in the way of what I do or he, he's never just said, Hey, I'm proud of you or it's always about him. So, uh, but to me, a film that you can't watch is equally as powerful as when you love. So uh, with that, we are going to uh, uh, give Quincy, if you have anything you want to close with, or if you want to plug any of your personal social media um, or anything you want to say, uh, the floor is yours, or if you have nothing to say, that's cool too. Oh, well, well, first of all, again, thank you for having me on. And I guess, uh, you, you know, I don't go out of my way to plug this stuff, but since it's, you asked, um, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Quincy Rose films. I'm also on Instagram and, um, again, miles to go and friends up and friends up and friends are available to the public in North America, as well as a lot of other countries, depending on which film we're talking about, Amazon, Hulu, iTunes, you know, all the various things. You can find anything that I've done so far by going to my website, uh, QuincyRoseFilms.com. 
And, uh, yeah, I just uh, thank you again for the opportunity and for being a cool guy and, you know, respectful dude and a nice person and, and just uh, class act. And uh, thanks, like Rainey said, you know, it's important that we have these places for, uh, for all of us because, yeah, it's, it's great to uh, – get the word out and, and uh, you, you do it in a manner that's uh, not only painless, but, but, and respectful of the, the craft and the craftsman, but just, uh, you know, just a pleasure to listen to and talk with. And thank you. Well, thank you so much, Quincy. Those, those compliments are definitely taken with uh, very much uh, warmth in my heart. And uh, you have a great day. Best of luck with what you're working on and what stage you're at. And I know in some Thank form you. we'll be talking soon. Absolutely. And as soon as I can, I'll show you the Marshall Oh, cool. Yeah. Hey, we got, let's see. I think you shot that a couple of months ago. So we still got six months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Have a great day and aloha Quincy. All right. Aloha. aloha. Bye. Great show. I'm pumped. I'm excited. How can you not be when you get to talk film and do a show with... Sorry about that. The mic slipped unplugged. When you get to do a show with Rainey and Quincy, again, it's been a great day, great time. We are commemorating episode 250. And again, what a blessing to everyone who's made this happen. I'm going to go rest my throat. Take care. Have a great day.